formed a bunch of my scientific learning while I was in the Southeast, because that's real deer biology there. I mean, you, you know, it's not that, as you know, thousands of acres of corn and soybean fields, you got to dig in, do some real, real work down there. There's a reason why when a lot of the South went through those restocking periods, they were pulling deer from swamps. Think about that. from Southeast Whitetail Studios here in Savannah, Georgia. Um, have a great interview today with Morgan Harrell from South Carolina. We've been following each other for a while. Uh, great hunter, and I really like what she does out, out in the outdoors. She spends time and in, 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 in volunteers for Artemis Sportswomen. That's a great organization that's, uh, from my understanding, is across the country. Definitely check it out. Um, and this is continuing on our month-long celebration of Southern hunting, hunting culture. Um, you know, I spent most of the season on this podcast with various biologists and different people talking about deer behavior, deer movement, and trying to better uh, understand how to hunt these deer. Well, now most seasons are wrapping up in the Southeast, and I wanted to spend a little time talking to various people across the landscape of the South about how they hunt, what their goals were this season, uh, were they successful, um, how they hunt, how, you know, they hunt or spend time around friends and family around the holidays, hunting culture in the South. That's what I wanted to cover. And that's what we're doing today. So I uh, appreciate everyone listening. Um, and then lastly, of course, stay tuned to Southeast Whitetail. We've got some big news dropping in this month. And if you're looking for some gifts for Christmas, looking for some gift ideas, but you have maybe too many does on your, on your farm, too many does on your hunting lease, you want to thin the herd. Maybe you didn't see enough bucks this year. Maybe you don't think your bucks are big enough as far as antlers. Shoot does. You shoot does. You fill those antlerless deer tags. You will better your herd, in increase the antler size, and better that butt-to-doe ratio, which means you have a better rut. You're going to see more bucks moving. So go out there. Fill some tags, share some venison with some friends and family, and uh, I guarantee they will thank you for it. So with that, let's get right to it with Morgan Harrell. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Southeast Whitetail. I'm pleased to have on the line today Morgan Harrell, one to, to join us about her her hunting and uh, her passion here. So Morgan, thanks for being on. Hey, uh, hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to, to join you today. Absolutely. I've, I've been looking forward to this. You and I connected a while ago um, and kind of stay in touch. We have some mutual friends and um, I think this is going to be fun. Can you tell the audience a little bit, little bit about yourself and uh, maybe where you live and where you hunt? 
Sure. Um, so I live in Columbia, South Carolina, but I hunt mainly in the, in the low country um, in Colleton County, but I also do some hunting in the Midlands in Saluda, Newberry County. Um, I grew up hunting. Uh, my, my father was a wildlife and forestry consultant. My mom was a um, wildlife biologist turned, wild, uh, turned into biology teacher. But my grandparents also hunt. Actually, my, my deer rifle is my grandmother's gun, which I, I love that I inherited nice. that. Um, so that's hunt camp, going hunt camp, um, talking about it at the dinner table, talking about the science of it, talking about, um, you know, the, the different pieces and parts that have been part of my life forever. Yeah. So your father was a forester and your mother was a wildlife biologist. Yeah, they actually met uh, while they were both kind of working in DNR in that field. Um, the story goes, and my mom hates this, that she was the best looking woman working the, the check stations uh, at that time. But she was the only woman working the check stations at that time. It was not very common for a woman to be in the field. Yeah. Um, so actually, she went to college uh, in Georgia with Joe Hamilton. So I've known nice. Mr. Joe forever and ever and ever. Uh, the QDMA is part of our hunting culture, but she and mm -hmm. Joe went to Georgia together many moons ago. So he's, he's actually a neighbor of ours um, and a good family friend. That's awesome. So, I mean, you, that was, you must've grown up in quite the outdoor household. I'm just thinking about, you know, your parents being a wildlife biologist and a forester. I mean, I, oh, yeah. so, I mean, do you, do you, um, I mean, do you think that you were established with a very good understanding about things as opposed to some of your peers, some of your friends growing up? I mean, I would think so. Yeah. As opposed to having parents that maybe were, you know, an accountant or a lawyer or, uh, you know, someone in real estate. I mean, they're entrenched with that day in and day out. So yeah, I would think it was, just it, naturally, it, it, you know. Yeah. It was. It was very close. I mean, and, and then the, the benefits that came from that. My mom at one point did work with Project Wild with DNR, which is a program that I think is still in, it goes to different classrooms. And so there was a period of time where we always had usually like a raccoon or a possum. We had a baby alligator one time. She had a license for that. We had um, usually a raptor at some point that she would use for her um, demonstrations. We always had snakes. Like having a snake in the house was very common, whether it was a pet or with her program. Uh, as a science teacher, she had Madagascar hissing cockroaches. Like, and so my, my girlfriends would come over in high school and it's like, oh, what's mom got on the counter now? And here's a cockroach. Oh, by the way, the snake got loose last week. So y'all be careful. Um, you know, we took, a, took apart owl pallets at the dinner table after dinner just to see what was in there because she'd have some left over from the class. Yeah. So it was it, it, the, the, the wild world was very part of our everyday. Um, I, and I love that for my brother and I. Some of our favorite stories are just being, being outside and the adventures that we, that we um, concocted living out in the country too, because we were pretty rural. Um, but I love that. I love having all that, that connection. We actually did something the other day and I was walking around, my mom, you're the science teacher. What is this mushroom? What is this? And she goes, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> but to have that knowledge um, from both of them over the years has been, has been very valuable. And, and to have those values of that we need to be part of this. We need to learn more about it. We need to appreciate it. Um, but it was interesting yeah. too have like a forester for my mom turns tends to be a little bit more and I say this lovingly a tree hugger but my dad with the forester he understood the, the different pieces and parts of that like why clear cut while it may be ugly mm -hmm. it's a good thing and, and yeah. how we kind of learn from both of those things I mean that sounds awesome I mean I'm <laughs> I mean that sounds incredible to have that kind of upbringing um 
especially during that time. I mean, I, I mean, you know, like I can think about like when I was growing up, a lot of that stuff wasn't readily available. I mean, we, I'm trying to write something now about social media and like hunting and like kind of like the pros and cons. And I don't know, the more I write, the more I realize I'm like calling certain, not direct people's names out, but I don't know how I can write it without you, without ruffling some feathers, but in a way we kind of take, take, take that for granted because a lot of forced, like, you know, uh, wildlife biology stuff is on social media. I mean, you, you mentioned a mushroom. I could take my phone with some apps and take a picture of a plant and ID it like right there on mm -hmm. the spot. It used to be, you couldn't take a pic, you know, you didn't have a camera on you maybe. And then you had to go look it up. But, you know, I'm just thinking about when I was growing up, that stuff wasn't readily available. And then having those tools, having those parents, you know, without, I mean, that's gotta be pretty, must've been pretty incredible. So growing up, when did you start hunting and how'd you get into it? Did you start off with one type of species or fishing or did you just jump right into it or what? Yeah. Kind of walk us um, through it. So uh, my dad is, was an avid hunter. Um, and if I was going to spend time with him, that was going to be in the woods at some point, but we would go, I would go with him along and along when I was little, you know, it's funny. I don't remember the progression for me, like squirrel. My brother did more of the, got a gun, killed the birds, killed the squirrel, worked his way up. My first was a deer um, and yeah. turkey, turkey hunting with my dad. But, but I grew up going, both of us grew up going to hunt camp, which was um, my grandparents had in Berkeley County. I think it was Berkeley County, but it was in my memory. It's just like this Mecca, right? It was just this quintessential um, good people have their campers there, had the family environment. People had their grandkids. We were the grandkids running around. And I still can vividly remember like the, all the kids lining up the edge of the, the cleaning shed, watching everybody clean the deer. Um, and, and just the magic of that and seeing everybody come in and the excitement of it. I remember um, somebody killed a rattlesnake one time, cut the head off, but it was huge. And the kids, we all sat there and like three rocks at it. But while we were all there playing and probably being babysat by all these, this village of people, we were learning so much about um, what deer hunting culture was. Um, so I think, you know, there's, there's that part of it that, that we went a lot, of, did a lot of that growing up. I don't even remember hunting there. I was so little, but I remember the community that I felt um, as a young kid um, in that environment. And then with dad and mom, my mom hunted too early on. She doesn't hunt much now, but um my dad and I would hunt a lot of deer, turkey. He actually, he broke his neck. He passed away two years ago, but he broke his neck. Uh, Sorry to hear that. 30, 30, yeah, 30 years ago. So he was a quadriplegic. So his hunting changed when he was about 41 and I was 11. So we hunted a good bit together when I was, you know, probably six, seven to 11. And then that shifted in a way until he learned how to do it again. And so um, he couldn't wing shoot anymore. Um, and he couldn't like do duck hunting or dove hunting, but he was certainly supportive of me doing all of those amazing things um, and, and was valuable. He would love to hear the stories and, and teach mm -hmm. me what he could, even if he couldn't be there physically. Um, but we definitely deer hunted and turkey hunted a lot together um, and, and awesome. hog hunted as well and had, had a great time. That sounds special. Yeah. You know, what you mentioned about uh, deer camp and skinning shed and that, that's something for me is, um, kind of irreplaceable growing up. I mean, uh, thinking about like, you know, the hunting club, I, I grew up in Jasper County and, um, in the various places we were invited to hunt and, and even our, our farm now was just like the, this, 
deer camp, the skinning shed, you know, after the hunt, socializing, have some cocktails or kids running. I mean, now I, my kids are running around like, you know, maniacs around the skinning shed. It's, it's, it's something fun because, you know, you, you, there's, it's just, it, it, it's a wide collection of people, you know, that you might be hunting with. It could be people die hard like you and me that just live and breathe it, you know, or it could just be some casual friends or clients or people, you know, that just, they just want to get out of town. You know, they, they, they want to hunt, but they just really just want to get away, decompress, zone out and just enjoy the outdoors because they don't really, some people don't really have the opportunity, you know, to, yeah. you know, or they just, you know, they just want to get out when they can. So, so did you stick with deer or did, or did you, is that, I mean, do you kind of hunt everything or where, you know, how'd you evolve to where you are right now? Did you, are, are you just a full, do you non-discriminatory as far as species? <laughs> Pretty much, yes. So, I mean, we grew up um, hunting deer and turkey. Uh, my dad was an avid uh, bird hunter before his accident. Um, and and so, so we really, he didn't really get us into that. My brother did some, I did a little bit. And I did hunting um, a good bit while I was in high school, kind of took a break college. And, and I've really come back to it the last 10 or 15 years. Um, I've, I've come back to it in a, in a full force way. And a lot of it's surrounded by interest in cooking and the food of it. I just dived into um let me see what all I can use, which quite frankly was not what my dad and his hunting buddies were about. The first time I asked them, I was like, Hey, we all ever eaten deer heart. And they said, no, we've never been that hungry. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just not what they did. Now I yeah. cooked it for them. And now all of them say they will never throw it away again, but it was just kind of interesting for me to go through that process. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that saving the whole duck. Um, we went snow goose hunting and I was sitting on the ground, pulling out the livers and the hearts, bringing them back to South Carolina from Arkansas. Um, <laughs> so I, I enjoy it all. And we went, we went, um, let's see, I've done, I've done a little bit of duck hunting. We did snow goose hunting. Um, uh, we went to Argentina on a dove hunt, which as we all know is a wonderful experience, but it's not a meat hunt. It's, it is an experience in and of itself. Um, but my, one of my favorite recent ones is we went iguana hunting in uh, Florida which if you've never done, it was one of the most fun things I have, have ever experienced. Um, so oh. we, and we brought back 20 pounds of meat that I served at Thanksgiving. So it, it did not go wasted either. <laughs> did the people know it was iguana and not turkey? Well, if they listen carefully, cause instead of calling it buff- Buffalo chicken dip, I called it Buffalo <laughs> tree chicken dip. Um, wow. and so there were a couple cousins that, that listened and they're like, what? And a couple other ones didn't realize it until like, you know, huh. half a, half a bowl in, but you couldn't tell the difference, but, um, we, bro- I enjoy that. My brother's mentioned that, that type of hunt to me and he's been trying to get me to go down there, uh, with them. So what is it, do you, is it bow only? Do you like no. shoot with a... A little air rifle. So we, we went with an, an outfitter. We were down there for our Thanksgiving trip and we just did like a half day rental. And you're in a yeah. little, maybe 12, 14 foot boat, mm-hmm. little skiff in the canals, like basically people's backyards. Um, and we shot them with air rifles before lunch. And which as long as you nail them in the head, they fall. And then after lunch, we used a dart gun. So can you imagine <laughs> like a blow gun that, and then the dart had a string tied to it and then you reeled them in. It how, was so much fun. <laughs> how how close can you get without them? I mean, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about how inaccurate I would be with like so a dog took, gun. Yeah. So it's so on the on with the with the air rifle, it took a little while because you're in a boat, you know, and just uh, you know, yeah. the same. So it took a little while to get that rhythm in. Mm-hmm. With the dart, you got within 
they're like a lot of you know a lot of reptiles i think their instinct is to freeze and don't move because they are so well camouflaged and so that's a lot of time what the lizards did um so we were within 12 12 10 12 feet they were kind of Ooh. laying out sunning yeah. and we just like pulled up real slowly and, and shot <laughs> it was great <laughs> um so yeah that's cool. i get what i love is that i get as much excitement it's a different excitement but as much joy just from that from that part of it as I do still deer hunting. Like I get just as excited shooting a deer as I, as I did those iguanas. Um, certainly really? more of a novelty. Well, I mean, it's a novelty, but yeah. I, the whole would you not do it, it every weekend? Like no, you, you, no. you would probably go deer hunting how many weekends and how many weekends would you go? Yeah. Iguana, iguana hunting. hunting is, you know, since I don't live there, you know, once, once every couple of years, if we, if I ever get to Florida again, I'm going like, I will go every time I go to Florida, but the deer hunting, certainly it is, that is putting meat in my freezer for the whole year. So it has a little yeah. bit different of a goal, but I had this conversation with some friends the other day. Like I, I, I see when a deer walks out, I see a backstrap. I see a <laughs> neck roast. I see, you know, I see a ham and, um, and so I love that idea of going to collect. I love going to the grocery store that way. Yeah. Um, and I, I love the excitement and I've, I've always heard, you know, the old hunters, like I will do it as long as it still gives me that thrill. And, um, and it still does. Oh, cool. So on that same, I, you know, thought how much, I mean, not, I mean, not to come on like a percentage or how many meals, but like, I mean, how, how important is wild meat for you and your family through the year? I mean, you know, what you kill, you know, deer, turkeys, I mean, how, how much, I mean, how, how much of a part, I mean, meat, like for me, it's usually, you know, we'll usually eat maybe four to five deer a year mm -hmm. and we don't buy any beef. I mean, we'll, you know, of course we'll, we'll buy chicken. Um, but we don't really buy a whole lot of meat. And so that's a lot of what we eat. Um, and it's, um, I mean, is that, I mean, hearing you talk, that seems, sounds like it's, it's some, something kind of very similar that, you know, Absolutely. you're, you know, some people, you know, you go through those phases where, um, you know, they say first phase, hunt the hunters wants, wants to just kill everything they can, or that sounds bad, but you know, just kill yeah, as many deer, you know, in a certain point. And so now for me, it's like, for me, it's like, I've got certain goals I want to accomplish usually related to like bucks maybe. And then does just like meet the freezer. Um, and then management does for that, for our ground, our farm, which I've got to place that meat, you know, friends, family, we're giving that meat out because I already have enough. So it sounds like that's maybe something similar. Absolutely. Or, no, I mean, we, um, so we have one freezer that's all venison. Um, it's a smaller freezer, but it, we usually keep about, there's like three or four deer in there. With what we mm -hmm. like to get a season. And then I have another freezer that's going to have um, my husband, like he went offshore fishing. We got filled full of mahi. Um, I've got some oh, walleye wow. from a friend of mine. I've got quail. Um, we did a pheasant hunt. I think I'm out of pheasant. Um, we do hogs every year and that's, um, we make sausage from that. So I'll get 50, 60 pounds of sausage that we'll use. Um, we usually will get some wild uh, South Carolina shrimp. Um, I've got, what else is it? And so then I'll also have in that one, um, you know, any vegetables, you know, local corn, okra, um, nice. chanterelles. If I've picked a bunch of that, that that'll be in there. Um, that's where the iguana is. So, <laughs> you know, outside of like, bacon which you just can't replicate in a feral hog and i yeah. bacon is one of my favorite food groups um 
Yeah, I, that's, I mean, we'll buy steak every now and then because sometimes you just can't. I mean, I, I love a yeah. good deer steak, but there are times when a good, big, fat filet mignon is what you want. Yeah. So we'll do a steak every now and then, um, but that is the only time we buy beef. Um, and, that, and that's the way I grew up. Like when I eat somebody else's spaghetti or um, or chili, like I could mm-hmm. tell and, and my body yeah. can tell just because the fat content, um, it just feels greasier to me. Now they Definitely. say they can taste the difference. I, I don't know if I, I've never, I can't taste the difference, but I can just like feel the texture difference. Um, but yeah, I love, yeah. and then I make stocks. Another thing I started doing last year was I make stocks. So I probably got however many um, quarts of stock that I make from venison and I'll do a light game one from goose and ducks. I'll have those nice. in the freezer too. So um, that's, that's become as, as big a part of the actual, like, the prep, you know, the planning, the food plots, the putting the corn out, the, you mm-hmm. know, watching the trail cams, the food prep on the backside and, and, and the sharing of that food prep. I mean, my vet, I took my vet a goodie basket the other day of venison stock and of some, some figs from my tree and some jerky like that. I love sharing it in that way. I think that's what we ought to do as hunters. I mean, that's a way to, to share our love in a way that maybe that person wouldn't get on their own. Definitely. Yeah. We've been doing that for a while. Um, and it became a a necessity as far as trying to shoot some of these, you know, does, um, to try to balance the herd. I mean, you know, like we can only house so much venison in our freezers, but then it kind of comes into how much, how much do we individually eat or our family eats per season? So like, I don't want to, I don't want to keep more than four to five max in my freezer because we're not going to eat more than that. There's no point. Like I, I've, I did that for a, for a while years ago, but once I started having kids and I, I, I started to keep the freezer on, on a rotation where I, I didn't want to, I did't want to keep venison for more than a year. Not that That's it like goes, yeah. goes bad because if you wrap, wrap it properly, it'll be fine. Maybe not the best will be fine, but I don't want to keep it in there because the next season starts and I, you made a uh, vertical motion when you described your freezer I don't know if you have a stand-up freezer. I want to stand up. I've got two chest freezers and it's just a pain because everything. Yeah. Like you no, organize it one time. Yeah. And then once you get. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so I got different. like when we, we got those shrimp in, I had to, we got a hundred pounds of shrimp. And so I had to figure out and it, and for like a week, I didn't have time to reorganize everything. And I was mm-hmm. a little twitchy because the shrimp go here. <laughs> this goes here. Uh-huh. So I can keep up with it because otherwise you're right. You do get things lost and you know, there's nothing worse than finding that deer ham that's freezer burned and you can't, I mean, you can use it, but only for certain things. I mean, you just feel like you feel wasteful and that's not, that's not what we want to do. And that's why I, I, I wanted to kind of get back in that program of, or get in the program of consuming all the venison before the following like September when we can start shooting does because I would get a, I'd pull a backstrap out, um, you know, from a, a year or two. And then you'd have to shave, even after you, even if it's wrapped properly, I would have to kind of shave off some of that outside meat that had been freezer mm-hmm. burned, kind of cut that off. Um, so talking about venison, how the venison, you, the deer you, you typically shoot, do you process it yourself? Do you bring it to a processor? Do you have some favorite processors around where you um. hunt? Yeah, we do. It really depends. We, we've been very lucky in, in our home where we hunt in Colorado County. There's a, there was a processor right down the road, um, but we have another one up the road that we use now because they closed. And typically that's what we do. Just 
in terms of time, because we don't live where we hunt and we don't we usually only stay in there like one or two nights. Um, that's yeah. typically what we've done now. Um, so I do enjoy, I, I like to process one ourselves once a year, but sometimes that is a function of time. Do we have time to hang it? Do we have time to go back and get it? So, um, so we do use a processor, um, but I love doing it ourselves when we can. Yeah. I, 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 I will cut my own steaks. Like I, I, I cut some, uh, T-bones and bone and chops, or I might keep some, keep some cuts whole, but I, I don't, I don't do anything else. I don't make sausage. I don't grind. I, I don't have that stuff. And it's like, to me, it's just one more thing, you know, one more hobby that I don't have time for. So, um, I'd rather just, you know, bring it to someone, you know, uh, a legit butcher, someone that knows what they're doing. So, yeah. And we'll, um, so we do our hogs. We will process those and I'll bring all the ducks and yeah. stuff back and I'll, you know, process some of the smaller stuff, but it does, it does. And it's a quantity thing, right? I mean, to get all the equipment out to do, exactly. you know, one deer and, and it, it takes a lot of time. It, it does save money, but if you put time value money, there's some other equations in there that kind of make it work out. So, um, but yeah, we're, we're, we, I like to, and I'll take, like, I'll take ground and make sausage from it. Um, you know, I'll just cool. instead of doing it straight from it, you know, it's like, okay, if I don't, because having them make it, I'd rather do my own seasonings. We've took some ground from venison and mm -hmm. made uh, boudin before added, you know, bought a pork liver. I had one left over. Um, you can use deer liver too. Um, to the extent that, you know, we can take it to the next step rather than pay for some of that specialty stuff. That's my next venture is to be able to do my own, um, uh, the smoked and cured meats. I really want to yeah. get into to that, yeah. but that's a that's another refrigerator that I got to find room for. That's right. <laughs> and I already have three. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where the that's where the cost really comes in on some of these processors. Right. I mean, if you're getting kind of sausage, especially smoked summer sausage, some of these probably jerky that stuff can really um, can shoot up. So, I tell you, our processor in Colorado County makes a half. Um, huh. that is so good. Um, and we, we, if I kill, we got a batch like two years ago, I had a, an older buck and, um, he was, he was very much like within 10 minutes, he was like very stiff. So he's like, he was a, he was a very active rudder. <laughs> um, so we decided just to make him all into hash and we split it between my, my parents and us. Um, and it's delicious. I don't know. I'm assuming they'd make it like you make every day, you know, make it regular hash where you throw yeah. everything in the pot and cook it down, but it's, it's very good. Who, which, which processor is this? Uh, B and B wild game processor. B and B. B and B. Yeah. They're uh, North of Walterboro. As in like boy and boy B and B. Yes. That's what, huh. I don't know what yeah. their last names are. I can't remember. I it's B and B. I have to check check that out. Yeah, I love hash. I mean, you know, like hat, like you never see hash uh, around Savannah or, or around the coast. You know, you, you see Brunswick stew. Mm -hmm. um, but when you get a little bit in Georgia, a little bit further, like inland, like like around Augusta, a little bit further north of Georgia, you'll see hash. But, but, but over in South Carolina, it's all over the place. Yeah, like it's with every barbecue buffet. Yeah. So having it, yeah. we love it. Like I, that's like my, you know, late you know, late afternoon, late, I don't have time to make supper, take it out, make a pot of rice and there's supper. Um, put it, put it on some rice maybe. Yep. So grits. when they, when they give it to you, is it, it's already, I mean, it's already made and it's frozen. And Pork it's containers. In a, huh. And it's legit. I mean, it's, I'm going to try that out. Every, I, I usually take a deer or two to like Rishers in Walterboro. Yeah. Um, I got, I like their hamburger patties. 
I like the I like theirs because they have a hamburger patty machine, and so uh, okay. it, it patties them nice and thin, like perfectly round, and then and then a, a you know a a even thickness, which is relatively mm-hmm. thin. Kids love it. Um, but I have to try that out. See, like that's something that is if it's look legitimately good i would i would i would go do that as opposed to making my own hash i mean I, yeah you know, it's just one more especially if you can get it, it's already it's already frozen in small containers yeah the other, um, we had the place that um, breland's it used to be right down from our house um they, they have since closed they used to do a um a pickled snack sticks have you ever hmm. seen that and i pickled once, snack we, sticks? once we got it once i was like i'll never pay for it again <laughs> because literally they took they made the snack sticks or they had a made a lot of some processors, you know, they send that off to more of a regional place to get some of the smoked meats yeah. done. I don't know if they did it, but they would cut them up, throw them in a jar of vinegar with maybe some spices, some pickling spices and some jalapeno. It's delicious. So if yeah. you had some that were like maybe a little bit old, I, that's, I'm going to, my, my grandson loves some. I'm just going to get him some for Christmas, actually. I mean, they, they will pickle everything. I, I think <laughs> some will offer like pickle hearts and not tried that um i like my hearts grilled and cooked but i i, yeah. I have a, a friend in alaska she and i did a, an artemis cooking show and she pickled her fresh deer heart and she says that she loves it she'll put it on sandwiches and said it's delicious huh so that's cool have to try yeah. that so do you what are you do you have any goals to finish out uh this deer season um uh, more deer in the freezer we've gotten two Mm-hmm. Um, and usually we like to have three and then there's at least two other people that we usually get to every year if we can. So I need to fill my freezer with a third and then get two more. Um, and I, I had a very sad miss on a big buck this year. So I would love to see him again, but at this point it's, it's I'm all about putting meat in the freezer. So what's your plan? Are, are you going to hunt around the, around Christmas, the holidays, or what are you thinking? Just when um, you can? Yeah, we'll try to go um, this weekend. As we talked about, the, the weather's changing a little bit. And mm-hmm. just, we have, um, uh, because we live in Columbia and we hunt down there and we uh, we set up trail cameras that are the cell cameras. So mm-hmm. we get an email a couple times a day, um, which is fun because it's like Christmas a couple times a day with what the, <laughs> what's on the cameras. So I feel like I've got a good sense of their activity. And those things know when we show up on the weekends. They know uh-huh. it. They know it. So, um, I'm going to try to sneak away during the week, at least twice. If I can do it, if work will slow down, I'm going to try to sneak away and get, um, a night and evening because they're they're coming out in the evenings during the week, not the weekends, even though we haven't been there for a few weeks. So, um, anyway, so that's, that, that's kind of my plan. We've got some, some good feeders. We've seen, seen some really fat does. So I've got a couple of nanny does that I've seen that I've kind of loved to, to get, and they've been kind of grouping back up i was actually mm-hmm. looking this morning um you know onesies and twosies was or maybe a month six weeks ago but now they're starting to group back up a lot so i feel like we'll have it i like having a selection especially yeah. this time of the year because that's you know generally my rule is i, I don't want to i say rules but it's like a guideline right it's just like this is kind of what i put in my head but i may change make a change of decision when the uh uh, when the scope is out, but, um, like a single deer is probably going to be a button, buck. probably going to be young. I'm not going to shoot it because it gets later in the year and I'm looking at that freezer. Those, those guidelines change maybe a little bit, not necessarily on a button buck, but I might be more inclined to make different decisions as the year goes on. 
Um, especially yeah. when I need to replenish my smoking hams, which I love uh, a little tender one. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, we have, you know, a certain amount of does that we need to shoot every year. And, um, I tell guests to come up. I was like, you know, for us, a doe is a doe. Um, and, and especially if, if you read some of this stuff, some, what, what some biologists are saying, I'm pretty sure there was an NDA article I read that, you know, if you see some fawns and if you could tell it's a doe, a doe fawn, and if it's very, very, you know, smaller underweight, they already have one foot in the grave because that was probably mm-hmm. a, a doe that was either in the second or third heat cycle that got bred last year, or maybe it was a fawn doe that got pregnant, you know, when, when she reached 65 pounds and maybe November, December, and then that her, she's pregnant and then her fawn is born much later in the summer. So she's already got one foot in the grave. And it's like, it's this crazy rabbit hole because, you know, the fawn's born not in May, or early June or in our area, South Carolina, May, it's born months later towards the end of the growing season and has less, the mother has less solid nutrition for like producing milk. And then you get into all of a sudden the rut starting and it's just those fawns have one foot in the grave. And I, that's, I think it's exactly, I'm paraphrasing what the article said and it's, but sometimes it's hard for not as hard for not for me to explain that to, to a non hunters. Cause they look at, yeah. Oh, it's, it's a, they get caught up in the age, the age of a deer. Whereas you and I know, and pretty much probably anybody listening to this podcast knows that deer don't really live that long. It's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a very short life. And so, yeah, I, I think that's a good Yeah. I mean, like, so generally early in the season, like in September, if I see a doe with a fawn with spots on it, oh yeah, I mean, I I will, even if it's faint spots, like I'll pass on that doe, Mm -hmm. but by this time the spots are gone, it's been three or four months. And if I see a doe with a yearling, I don't think twice. Um, and now that, that, that varies, right? I mean, I feel like we, we, we gain this knowledge. We look to make the best decision we can. But what I've also learned is you have to own that decision, whatever it is. Like, there's no, oh, this wasn't as big as I thought it was. But, okay, but you made the decision, own it, and you know, if anything, learn from it. I think you know, I've I've killed a button buck before, and it is not a. That's not because you almost feel like even if it was a good shot, which is the goal, I'm happy about the good shot, but it's like ah, that's not what I thought it was, and that I'm not doing my job if I don't know what I'm shooting. Um, so I think that's that's the piece that I always kind of just focus on. If I know what I'm shooting and I can own that decision, then that's that's what I absolutely. Do. It, it always amazes me when a grown adult doesn't realize what he or she is saying when she says, "Oh, uh, you know, it was um, the deer bunched up, and I, you know, I got I lost track of the one I was trying to shoot." Or basically, they come up with an excuse about why they shot, why they killed what they killed. And it's like you know, it's dead it's now meat for your freezer, own it. And it's, it's a renewable resource. Even if you screwed up and shot something you didn't want to, or your host didn't want you to shot or made a mistake. So, you know, learn, like I said, learn from it. Yeah. Always learn from it. So you, you brought up Artemis Sportswomen. Can you tell our audience a little, little bit about that? If you, if they don't already know. Sure. So Artemis Sportswomen is an organization that is, is part of the National Wildlife Federation. Um, it started out okay. in the West, but it is, it is growing into the Southeast rapidly. Um, and the idea that it is, um, about building a community of sportswomen, whether that's hunting, angling, you know, hiking, um, it's, it's helping not only introduce, but to continue to grow the community of women. So somebody like me that I have grown up with men primarily my whole life. And I, I love hunting with my dad and all his hunting buddies, but quite frankly, they're not going to be around forever. 
So how do I build that new hunting mm-hmm. circle? How do I grow that community? And Artemis has certainly given that to me, not only in South Carolina. Um, we have about probably 450 women within our Facebook group. Um, social media has its nice. has its um, bad things, but in terms of bringing people together, yeah. it's been a great forum for that. Mm-hmm. Um, we have done um, a deer camp. We've done a turkey camp. We did a fishing weekend. We did a rabbit hunt. I actually will be posting this afternoon a duck hunt that we're going to be doing in uh, January. Mm-hmm. But the, the the added benefit, I think, of, of kind of participating in a group like this is that it does have national reach. So the idea that I can contact the Artemis ambassador in Alaska and, you know, she has a whole community there of women that she's working with. Um, so it's kind of a network of, again, making those connections yeah. so that. Um, for people that have hunted forever, we had a woman come to Turkey camp. She had been hunting for 45 years, very, very good, very successful Turkey hunter. She'd never hunted with another woman. And she was so excited. Hmm. It wasn't about going to kill the Turkey. Did she, so, did she like it or, or was she disappointed? She loved it. She loved it. You know, she, Cause it's a different, it's different. Yeah. And that's, and I, yeah. and I still, you know, we talked about that with like podcasts and things. There's times that I want to sit around the fire with a group of men and, and hear the stories. Cause that's, mm-hmm. it's comfortable to me. Cause that's what I've always heard. Yeah. But having done these different hunt camps now with women and, and taken women hunting either first time or experience, it is a different vibe. And I think that that is, um, that is something that we as women are looking for. We did our deer camp for the first time last year. We had 12 slots and it filled up in like 16 minutes. And wow. it wasn't because it wasn't because, and these were women that had experience deer hunting and had mm-hmm. leases and had, it wasn't because women were looking for more opportunities to kill whitetail. It's, it's not that hard in South Carolina. I mean, it, it does take some effort, but you, but you can generally you, find somebody. You probably to, know somebody that yes. has access. So yeah. it wasn't about another opportunity to go kill a deer. It was about an opportunity to, to, to build this community and to, and to feel part of a community of women out in the field. And, and we had um, a, a great time of sharing skills, growing our skills um, and just and being together. So um, if anybody's interested, you can look up on Facebook. It's um, Artemis, South Carolina. There is the national page, Artemis Sports Women, that has links to all the different states um, if you're otherwise in the Southeast. But there are um, ambassadors, which is what's what the kind of the leaders in the mm-hmm. state are called. Um, there's in Mississippi, Georgia. Georgia has a great program. North Carolina, Florida, um, Tennessee, Missouri, Oklahoma, um, Louisiana, Texas. So we're all over. Um, and I was just with a group of women in the Southeast. And um, there's a lot of good things planned and, and happening. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, we, um, we've had a lot of women, uh, hunt in our place and a lot of, uh, young females as early as young, not as, as young as like 10 or 11 and probably half the people that have shot the first year at our place have been, uh, female. And that, you know, one thing that that's, that's glaring, um, across the board when I, when we're up there, because, you know, at our place, it's either, you know, it's myself or brother, father up there with people. And it's, it's probably this way in general, most aspects of life, but the women tend to listen better <laughs> when, when it comes to hunting. And if we're, if they're shooting on the range and they're getting used to maybe, maybe if they, maybe they're practicing or maybe they don't have their own firearm and we're shooting at the range, they, they listen better and typically they shoot better, especially the younger females, like the kids. They just, you know, even though the young boys might have a bigger frame, bigger body to be able to like sit on the bench and, you know, hold the butt, you know, hold the gun and absorb 
Um, you know, not, but they still, the females shoot better mm-hmm. paying attention. And, and, and then when it comes down to the moment of truth, a lot of times, especially the, the young women, um, they handle the situations better. They just stone cold killers. Cause they're not <laughs> as, a, as opposed to like people like myself, when like a, a deer comes out, even like a doe and I'm like, just, just ready, ready, ready for some meat. And that doe, first doe comes out and I'm like, you know, I might screw the shot up, I might, but sometimes they, they will, you know, so it's, we've enjoyed, you know, having a lot of women up to hunt. Um, I think like 11 or 12 of, I think we're maybe at 20 or we're over 20 people have killed the first deer at our property. And I think 11 or 12 or have been women. So that's really cool. Um, so what it's something where the organization will, if I understand correctly, will post like an, an event, you know, a fishing or hunting event. And then it, that's up for people to hunters to apply to go. There is. Yeah. So it's a variety of different things. So it's, we do, we try to do a number of events a year that people can, um, you know, we're going to do a small event. I'm not going to take 30 people duck hunting. So there is a limited amount, um, small group events. Um, and depending on the type of event, you know, for safety reasons and logistics mm-hmm. reasons, there is a variety of different experience kind of required. Um, but it's also about sharing advocacy. It's about being, you know, being a good conservationist. And so on our Facebook group, I will share, Hey, is everybody familiar with this legislation that's out there? make your voice heard or this issue from DNR or this other women's hunt that some other group is doing. Um, you know, DNR has a great program uh, and WTF has some, SCWA has some. So we're, we try to be almost, I'm going to say a clearinghouse, but I'm happy to share anybody. We're all in the same goal, right? So um, I'll share anybody's event that they're doing, but it's also a, a resource because I, I think a lot of us have been fortunate enough to, to grow up in this but part of it is making sure that it's there for the next generation. So how yeah. do we, how do we support conservation in those efforts? And, and, and that's part of um, what Artemis is kind of balanced. Yes. It's about getting women in the field or on the water, but it's also about making their voice heard. Um, and so we've, we've talked a lot about recently too, about how do we kind of grow that conservation voice from a woman's sports women's perspective um, through NWF. Like I was on a call with the center Scott's office. They facilitated that the other day and I was, mm-hmm. I was like, this is important. This is important to us yeah. for these reasons. And so um, making sure that, that that community has a has a voice is a big part of what we do as well. So events, conservation, um, and general knowledge. I mean, not everybody had a wildlife biologist as a mother. So that, you know, yeah. so being able to share the general knowledge from trying to think, you were talking about social media and stuff. Um, uh, Mike Chamberlain, uh, Turkey Doc. I loved his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. and, and different research is coming out of MSU on the deer lab. Um, so to the extent that we can share that, great. That's awesome. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I like it. I love to nerd out on that thing. On those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, they, they, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great organization. And there's a number of women I follow on social media that have done some stuff or post about Artemis, um, especially out West too. So yeah. That's a great org. And if anyone's listening, you should definitely check it out. Um, see if it's something that you want to work with or maybe, you know, volunteer. I mean, don't y'all look for, um, you know, land, you know, landowners to help, you know, as far as facilitate hunts, Absolutely. Both, on, so, both on public yeah. and private land. Yeah. So we, 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 we did like our Turkey camp was on public land. Um, we have not done a public land deer hunt. Um, and I'll be okay. honest, I, I grew up deer hunting private land. I'm not, 
I don't know how to hunt public land and deer. Yeah. Um, so I've not been comfortable leading a group to do that without some knowledge. But I think that that, that access part, you know, is a big deal. of How do you, um, that can be intimidating. Whether oh, yeah. being a man, being a woman, walking in the woods, not knowing anything is in, and not knowing either where to go or who the next hunter is. I mean, that has some intimidation to it. So, but yes, we do. We'd love to partner with anybody that has, you know, land that they're looking for, a, a, you know, love to do a hog hunt somebody had some hogs they wanted to eliminate or wanted to do a, a doe call um doe management we can certainly put together a group of ladies that would love the experience they would love the meat um and i think could help um you know you can take that person either to the next level either as a mentor or for the first time hunter we're for both it's we're not about like the nest the 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 first time hunters are important but mm -hmm. it's about having that second level, right? It's about having that yeah. next level to continue it. If you don't have a mentor and you, you killed your first deer, you don't have a way to go the next time. It's going to be that story you tell from when you were younger. Yeah, you know? you, so you, how, you, how do you build it so they feel like they have a community to step into yeah. it and, and continue it, make it a lifetime pursuit? I like that. Yeah, because, you know, you, if you go on your first hunt, maybe you shoot something, you, you're going to get home with some meat, but you don't really learn. You didn't really learn. I mean, I hate to say it, but you didn't really learn. I mean, just like the first time I went, I mean, honey, it's like, you don't, it takes going out and really understanding, um, you know, it, it takes time, you know, to yeah. kind of you know, understand the ins, ins and outs. So and you go home with that first deer and you cook that backstrap and you backstrap and you overcook it and everybody hates it. So all of a sudden venison yeah. is disgusting for the rest of your life. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's not. Um, yeah. so yeah, there's, there's a piece of that and how to, how to take value from all of it that I think, um, that's what Artemis serves. It's like that community and that resource because, and they're out there in a variety of different ways. Uh, and we're focused on, on women in this case, but, um, that, that part of it, um, I, I think in, in the, everybody, it's, it's rather sexy to get the, the little kid out there and shoot his first year, but building community on the back end, um, I think is, is where we can really make some difference in the long-term health of, of the hunting industry and the, 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 the longevity mm -hmm. of the sport oh, for, yeah. our, for our country. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I like that. Um, well, let's start wrap this up. I'm going to ask you the same three questions I ask everybody. Um, I'm thinking you're going to have some good answers based on your, but based on your parents um, should have some good ones. You, you got some competition. Mike Chamberlain has answered these himself okay. and, some other, and some other biologists. So you have some good stiff competition. So first question is, um, if you could give a recommendation to the audience, um, a book or maybe some media related content, um, you know, it could be a magazine, maybe a website that has articles or another podcast, something that, um, you think that, um, someone in the Southeast would be interested in. Um, I will give props to my favorite cookbook and writers, um, Hank Shaw and Holly Heiser. I've actually just spent some week time with Holly. Um, she's the oh, photographer cool. for the book. Um, and she's a hunter in her own right, has done some great work with California Waterfowl Association. But Hank's books, um, Hunt, Gather, Cook, Buck, Buck, Moose, Pheasant, Quail, Cottontail, oh, I've got all, Duck, Duck, Goose, and there's a fish one, um, are my, are my go-to. I love, I love you. Their books are beautiful, number one, um, and they're great resources. He and Holly both have, um, they're wonderful writers in their mm -hmm. own, um, yeah. in their own vein and do some really thoughtful, she in particular has done some really thoughtful pieces on ethics, why 
and, and like, for example, her experience with bear hunting with dogs, um, just a really interesting kind of take on that. Yeah. Um, he also, for social media stuff, if you are into cooking, he does a, uh, a Facebook group called, I think it's Hunt, Gather, Cook. And it is a fabulous resource for, you put in, I, I cooked, uh, what did I, oh, I did barbacoa one time with hog, um, oh. hog legs. And I didn't do it right, but I like took a picture and said, you know, having, some, what's going on? What's, why isn't this right? Yeah. Why, and, and I got like five different response within five minutes from all these people around the country that are into wild game cooking. So Ooh. that's Hunt, Gather, Cook, um, great resource. And they are, they're putting some great content out there when it comes to not only, the whole, you know, tutorials, um, good recipes, but just some good thoughts, thoughtful information about um, hunting and what it means to us. Would, was that the shanks from the pig? No, I think it was, it might've, it's either, I think I did a combination of shoulders and hams, usually what I do. Uh, yeah, that's something I want to try sometime. Um, but I, I didn't cook it down. So the key, the key that I learned is I didn't cook it down. Needs to get like 190 degrees to mm. take all the sinews down. And so mm. I made it before and then uh, with a smaller crock pot. And this one, I did like three of them in my grandmother's 1950s slow cooker or turkey mm. roaster. And I didn't get the, the temperature. I should have cooked them for much longer. Um, so that was kind of my lesson there. Uh, but that's, that. he's got a great recipe, but I, I love yeah. doing barbacoa um, from that. Yeah, Hank Shaw's got a, uh, some phenomenal cookbooks and awesome website. And, um, you know, when the, I mean, what I love about wild game cookbooks and I've got a bunch of them and, you know, sometimes like you'll, you'll, I, at least I'll flip through them and there'll be, you know, some rest, there'll be a lot of recipes I, I might think I'll never try and I probably won't. But like, if you, if you, if you read a lot of times I, I will read the recipe and like pull ideas, you know, like I might not go, you know, I mean, of course, if it's a recipe for like, you know, elk or moose, you can probably use, you, know, you can use venison and have to be elk or moose, but sometimes I'll take suggestions of like what they're doing for hamburgers or whatever it is. And I'll, I'll, I'll use some of it, but not all of it kind of depending on what my taste is, or maybe I don't have everything or, 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 or like time constraints. So, you know, I, I it's, you know, if anyone's listening, don't, doesn't mean you have to actually have to follow it for, you know, word for word, the, the recipe, you know, you maybe take something from it or just get an idea. Um, Certainly. Well, what I love about those books, but I would say probably the majority of my hunting books, um, the, the really nice hardback ones anyway, do include, include a lot of um, here's how you break it down. Here's how you take mm -hmm. care of the day, the game. Here's how yeah. to make sure that it, this is, this is toughness. This is, looking for freezer burn, um, Hank's buck, buck moose. Like, I think I'm actually was thinking about ordering a bunch. Like when I have a first time hunter, here's your killed your first year. Congratulations. Here's your deer meat. And here's a cookbook that's going to walk you through how to, how to prepare, why, why you do it this way, why this is a little bit different. His, it really outlines that. It does the same thing on the ducks and the, 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 the small game as well. That's so awesome. I think that that's, that's a huge asset. I think you don't get that in your grandma's cookbooks no. from the church. You don't get a, a, information on how to break down a chicken. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, not at all. Well, that goes right in transitions right into um, our second question. And that is what is your favorite kind of go-to wild game dish? Um, and when I say favorite, maybe, you know, something along the lines of you, you know, you, you haven't had wild game in a while and and, and your freezer's full. Just like what you said, you got the shrimp, you've got the pigs, 
the iguana. And, you know, you, you haven't had time to cook for yourself, you know, cook for your family in a while. And you finally do. Freezer's full. What are you cooking? Mm, it depends on the time of the year. Cause I do love a lot of good stews and, and gumbos and stuff All like right, that. Well, let's just go seasonal cold. then. So let's say, let's just go seasonal springtime. What you going Springtime. I'm going to probably pull out a cube steak um, or a deer steak, but then I'll then cube. Uh-huh. And there's a recipe for venison milanese where you hmm. um, you get it really th- you, you pound it really thin and then bread it in parmesan and breadcrumbs and um, I think it's a little Italian seasoning in there and fry it lightly and then do um, a, a, a light, arugula salad with a little bit of olive oil on it put that on top and then squeeze a lemon on the top of that Dang. it is my favorite I can eat like a whole whole package of it. Yeah, that sounds good. And I haven't had lunch yet. So I am, <laughs> that sounds real good. So what about summertime? Summertime is heat. Um, I mean, you know, they, there, I, I'm a meat girl through and through, but during the summertime, I can go vegetarian with the exception of bacon for my BLTs. But I love, the, you know, the fresh vegetables um, during the summertime. We'll do a big, you know, a big BLT, but wild game, um, you know, hamburgers, you know, we'll make we'll yeah. put hamburgers on the grill um, do a shrimp boil and, but eat, eat, eat it cold. A lot of times I'll, we'll, you know, do a shrimp boil, maybe eat it in the night and then we'll eat the leftovers the next day cold if it's <laughs> hot. Um, that's probably the go-to, um, let's I like see that. fish. You, I love black and then fish. I'll do that a lot in the summertime. You mentioned mahi. I mean, that's, it's hard to go wrong with mahi cook, cooked any, any, any which way. What about fall and winter? I'm going to go with my stews. I love, um, I love doing a, um, a gumbo and that will have actually I'm due for another one right now. I'll put whatever in nice. it. Um, I make a Brunswick stew that I just put venison in. Um, now I will, if, I, if I'm out, that's one time that if I'm out of birds, I will go get like some chicken breast to put in that. Cause mine has um, pork venison and uh, or yeah, pork uh, red meat venison and then uh, chicken in it. The white meat. Ooh. If I don't, if I don't have enough, um, yeah, I love the soups and stews. Um, I like that. Well, this is the first time the word vegetarian has been on this podcast, I will say. But you like the summertime, um, I feel, yeah. In the summertime, I feel like just I love you know going out to the yard and picking a cucumber. Oh, I know what you mean. Fresh I'm, corn, tomatoes. Yeah. But that's you know, and like even I'll do sometimes I will do like a um, I can tomatoes during the summertime and I'll freeze them over. So one of the things I'll do mm-hmm. just to kind of make me think of summer this time of the year is do. Um, I call it, you know, tomato okra stew and I'll do tomatoes. Literally the pot, the crock pot will have tomatoes, okra. I'll buy some andouille sausage. And then at the end, I'll throw in shrimp and that's it. I don't add any other spices or anything else. And then just put it over rice. And that's a great, it reminds me of summertime in a way, yeah. um, but it's delicious. I like that. Yeah. Sometimes a lot of times of the summer, I might grill like some peaches and shrimp and some corn, sweet corn too, maybe a little venison, but just, yeah, it's, I know what you mean, just some different type of stuff, especially where you and I are in the deep South. I mean, it's hot, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, and I don't really eat as much. So like, it's like a lot of times salads, just lighter stuff, just, you know, sounds better for so hot, you know, being outside all day. Yeah. Do a, a grill up a backstrap and throw it over some fresh greens in the summertime is yeah. perfect with steak salad. Yeah. That's some good stuff for sure. All right. Last question is um, conservation related. So what do you think in your professional opinion um, 
is a major conservation issue in the Southeast in the South that you feel like should be on people's radars. Uh, it, it could become, it could become a knowledge. It, it, you know, I mean, the answer doesn't have to be something that, you know, maybe you think people don't know, but what, what's something you feel like is on the forefront? And I ask this question because, you know, the, that word has be, it's become a buzzword conservation um, mm-hmm. in the hunting space for, for a while now, especially around social media, people use it all the time and people will use it. I feel like as a buzzword to kind of, you know, but people, a lot of people don't understand what really is conservation, especially in the South, you know, they might see some issues, but we have a lot of stuff going on here. So what do you think something that um, should be on people's radars? Well, you said professional and that's a, I am not a professional in the outdoor field the wild world and wildlife anything um I don't know, this is kind of on my mind this week we had um, i opened up my cameras yesterday morning two days ago or whatever and there was this really skinny probably two and a half year old buck on mm-hmm. the cameras and it was just you could just see his bones and i have a friend the steer biologist I'm like what do you think she says hey just send it to dnr so i sent it to charles Ruth at dnr and he called back and he thinks it's hemorrhagic which is i mean i trust his opinion it's fine but it, it, it kind of flared for me, like what's probably coming with CWD. Um, yeah. I have some friends in the other part of the world and I just, I, I, I am really curious how that's going to change the way we do things. Because it's one thing when you're CWD up in Wisconsin and they kill what two deer a year each during a two week season. But how does something like this apply when we're killing like the logistics, yeah. literally I can't figure out the logistics of, taking my meat to the processor or processing at home, waiting on testing when I, when potentially with enough tags, the ones you buy, I mean, you could kill 15 deer a year, just in a four month long season. So I'm, Oh yeah. Yeah. Because I'm a planner, it's in my head. I'm already thinking like, what's going to be my process. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think that that's something we need to be wary of. And and how does that change? Are we as South Carolinians, uh, you know, where, and I'll say this, you know, the, poli- the, 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 um, a lot of our wildlife laws are not made by science. They're made by politicians. Um, I think that's probably across the country, but th- that is, I, I think that's very much happened in South Carolina. Um, but, you know, are we willing to change our practices? Are we willing to put that corn yeah. up? Are we willing to, to change some of the things we do? Um, and across the Southeast, I think there's some States that have done that. And then there's some that have not regardless of what the biologists say. So I think there's going to be some, um, some real come to Jesus <laughs> conversations about what, what are we, what's the right thing to do for the resource? Yeah, I, I agree uh, with everything you said. I, I, I think odds are, I mean, CWD is, has, is um, blanketed a lot larger of an area than what we have found. Because, I mean, you know, when it gets found somewhere, it's just because someone's killed something and it looks a certain way, it looks funny, or maybe they see a deer on the side of the road and it looks funny and then they shoot it and they figure it out. But, like, I mean, how many deer had it, you know, that were killed and eaten before they even discovered it? So it's in North Carolina, it's in Alabama, um, it's not in Georgia, Florida, South Carolina. Well, hadn't found yet. I personally think it's already here. I think it's already in Georgia, Florida. I don't know, but if it's, I mean, but so that's just, you know, and what you said, yeah, it's pretty dang spot on about politicians. I mean, it's, it's amazing that, you know, you, you get, I mean, 
you brought up Dr. Mike Chamberlain earlier, and he, he's been preaching the stuff about the Eastern Wild Turkey for years upon years. And finally, it's like, it seemed like he was he, he, he was getting some major traction at uh, through social media. And I think he, I think one of his last talks on like NWTF, not last year, but a while back, I think it finally, he was saying it kind of started to get some legs. And then some different states, Missouri changed, South Carolina was one of the first ones to change the rules. And it's just, it just takes that process. Yeah. Um, and it, but, it, but I think we, I mean, it is historically hunters have done a great job of regulating themselves. There's always going to be grumblers. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Old, the old guys are always going to be not happy. Right. But generally speaking, hey, what do you say? You know, <laughs> I've got, I've got some, gra- I've got some gray in my beard. No, I've got some too, but um, yeah, we, we're about the same age, but I mean, but there's always, you know, there's still guys around that, that complain about having oh, yeah. not to shoot non-toxic, to shoot steel on ducks, you know, but, but going back historically, hunters have stepped up and I think just in, in our, but culture has changed. So are we willing to do yeah. that again in a way, um, you know, and, and, and having these conversations with some of my older friends, he's like, you know, 75 years old. No, I've got five more years of hunting. I don't want to go down to one turkey a year. And yeah. I feel for him. But what's the other side of that? So yeah. I just think there's some there's some hard decisions coming. And and one of them's gonna be like you were talking about, like on CWD, like if it's already here and we're already eating it, do you want to eat it? Like we don't have I haven't had to make I, that decision yet. Yeah. But if you're not gonna eat it, will you be the first one? You feed it your kids, like how do you go, like, go through that process? It's a I don't, very I don't COVID wanna, feeling. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly is. That's a whole so, rabbit hole that uh it, it is, but I but I think there's I think we are that's that is within our hunting lifetime that we will we will have to make some of those decisions. And absolutely. it'll be interesting to see what um the southeast, which is a fairly similar hunting culture, will we'll, we'll choose to do about it. Absolutely. Well, Morgan, I appreciate your time. This has been a lot of fun. Um, I always yeah. like talking with other people, um, around the South, how they hunt and their, and their thoughts and, you know, ideologies as far as, you know, hunting and outdoors and conservation. So, um, if someone is, wants to connect with you, um, with Artemis, maybe they're, um, a female hunter that wants wants to be involved in some form or fashion, or maybe they're a landowner, maybe they want to help out or donate or however they can by own means. How, how can they connect with you or Artemis? Um, I am on Facebook. I don't have a lot on there because I'm mainly on there for, for, um, for Artemis, but you can look up Artemis South Carolina or find me through the Artemis national page there. Um, I'm on Instagram. It's a private page, Morgan two eight eighty two. There's a picture of me with a dead Turkey. Um, so you'll know it's me, um, but feel free to attack. I mean, happy to happy grow, to, get, to grow it. Yeah. Happy to grow my, my, my community in any way. So, um, love to share, share, share what we love. I mean, I think that's, that's venison diplomacy, you know, well, invite everybody to the table. You're right. I think you have invited all of your friends, if whoever, whatever friends that know you were, that know where you live, that listen to this podcast, they're going, you, you've invited them by explain, telling, breaking down your freezer. You've got a, everything from mahi mahi to iguana and everything in, in between and so yeah you, you um i think you're probably gonna have a lot of friends hitting you up for some of come that on. so come on over well thank you morgan this has been a lot of fun i appreciate it uh thanks for your time and um i would employ every, everyone to check out artemis sportswoman get out there and um you know even if you're a male not gonna hunt with them reach out, you know, donate, volunteer, maybe, maybe, you know, some other, uh, other, you know, women that might want to connect with them. So 
um, it, 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 it's a great org and I appreciate your time today. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks. Well, thanks for listening and uh, we will see y'all next week.